Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. I want to ask you a question. What happens when we reject God? What happens to us individually when we reject God and we turn our backs on God? What happens to us as a society and as a culture? Well, Scripture tells us that the wrath of God comes upon us. We talked about that last week, and today we want to finish up that conversation. If you have an image or an idea or view or a theology of God that only includes the love of God, but it doesn't include the wrath of God, it's all part of who God is, then your God is not God enough. Your God is too small. It's not the God of the universe. It's not the God of the scriptures. But J.I. Packer said this about this topic. He said, the subject of divine wrath has become taboo in modern society. And Christians, by and large, have accepted the taboo and have conditioned themselves never to raise the matter, never to talk about it. But as you go through Scripture, it's a topic that must be discussed. So what is God's wrath? Well, we mentioned last week that God's wrath is His settled hostility. It's His response towards sin and all of its various manifestations. In other words, God just cannot overlook sin. It's part of his holiness to have to do something about it. And as we mentioned last week, God's wrath is actually an extension of his love. So you need to understand, God didn't create any of us for his wrath. That's not his desire. God's desire is to have a relationship with us, to experience life rather than death. And so with that in mind, I'm asking you to turn in your Bibles or on your phone to the YouVersion Bible app, and you can go to Romans chapter 1, where we will be this morning, Romans chapter 1. And let me set the stage for you with what we're going to talk about today. Paul tells us in the first few verses of Romans, Paul says, I have some great news for you. The gospel, which means the good news, the gospel, the good news about Jesus is the power of God, and it brings salvation to anybody who would believe. And God has that for us, that when you would believe God, he will clothe you in his righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. That's actually the theme of this entire letter of Romans, that God has a salvation for every single one of us. But starting in verse 18 and then going through the next few chapters, Paul's going to give us detail about, upon detail about the wrath of God, about the judgment of God. Now, why does Paul do that? Why does he want to lay that out for us if the whole letter is really about the grace and mercy and kindness and goodness of God? Well, Paul understands something. He understands that you and I will never fully appreciate the good news, the gospel, until we can fully grasp the bad news. Until you and I can understand how bad off we actually are, we're not going to understand that the gospel really, really is good news, great news. In other words, until you and I admit that we're sinners, we're not going to seek a Savior. And so Paul kicks it off in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Paul shifts now from telling us that the gospel is the power of God to telling us the reason behind the gospel, that you and I need to be saved. We need to be saved from God's judgment that is coming upon the whole human race. Why? 
Because God's judgment is his response to when humanity rejects him. Notice it says in this passage that we've got the problem. It's not God, it's our problem. But when we rebel, then God responds with his wrath. There's this progression, it's really a simple progression that humanity takes that will help you and understand why it is that God gets angry, why it is he would even unleash this part of who he is, his wrath. And first we discover in this passage that humanity, by our nature, we suppress the truth about God. We suppress the truth about God. The word suppress means that you know the truth, but you actually choose to hold it back or to hold it down so that you can live an unrighteous life. It's essentially a form of unbelief or or disbelief or not believing. R.C. Sproul once said this, He said, the problem is not that there is insufficient evidence to convince rational beings that there is a God, but that rational beings have a natural antipathy towards God. The nature of God, or at least the Christian God, is repugnant to man, and it's not the focus of his desire. Man's desire is not that God exists, but that he doesn't. And because God is repugnant to us, as Sproul said, what do we do? We suppress the truth about God. And when we do that, that then leads us down a dark path. Whenever people decide to turn their backs on God, to not believe, as the passage says, to suppress the truth about God, the end result is a river of wickedness that flows out of our life. You see, because of our sin nature, Because of that nature, we will always turn, left to ourselves, turn to our wickedness. In every generation, every culture, every person, we naturally, our sin nature, we suppress the truth about God, and and we turn to wickedness and every kind of evil. And so God, when that happens, steps in and he unleashes his wrath because we suppress the truth. But there's a second reason that God unleashes his wrath, and that's because humanity ignores or rejects God's revelation. Let's look at verse 20. It says this, it says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, say invisible, his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, they have been clearly what? They've been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul says that the invisible God has made himself visible or knowable for us by his creation. This is called the argument from design, or it's called natural revelation. In other words, creation, looking at creation, it's the visible disclosure of an invisible God. Here's what David said about it in Psalm chapter 19. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a word or sound. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. He says, just look in the sky. Just look around at what God has created. Pay attention, he says. It's obvious there is a God. 
The Apostle Paul would often use this argument by design or natural revelation when he would talk to pagan people, when he would talk to the Athenians, or also in Lystra, Acts chapter 14. Paul said this, he said that God never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. What is Paul doing? He's appealing to the design of the natural world to show us visibly the invisible God. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine wrath, they've been clearly noticed, been seen, being understood by what has been made so that people are without excuse. We just all have the ability to know that God exists. The evidence is clear. But when humanity suppresses the truth about God, the logical conclusion of that suppression is we end up missing the evidence that's literally right in front of us, right all around us. So God's wrath comes upon those who suppress God's truth and ignore God's revelation. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. The thinking was futile, and the hearts became darkened. It's a chilling verse. Humanity knows that God exists, but they suppress the truth. They refuse to see that God is screaming out to them through creation. And they, because of that, they refuse to give thanks to God. They refuse to glorify God. They, they justify why they don't have to praise God and why they don't have to worship God. And as a result of that, their minds, humanity's mind becomes darkened. It becomes confused. You see, I often say to you that God is worthy of our praise. He deserves our praise. He deserves our thanks. God's word, in fact, is filled with commands to give thanks to God. And so once again, I would encourage you every single day, pause, take the time to praise God, to count your blessings, to see the blessings that are being showered upon you every day. See them. Praise Him. He's worthy of our praise. And if you don't see that, if you don't see the ways God is blessing you and He is blessing your life, man, that's a red flag. That's a red flag that the heart is being darkened. The mind is, is, is pursuing futility. So I encourage you every day, seek ways in which you can thank God and praise him. God's wrath is unleashed because we reject God's revelation of himself through creation. But there's another reason God is angry and he unleashes his wrath, and it's because humanity perverts God's glory. Let's look at this together, verse 22. Although they claim, and he keeps saying they, he's talking about humanity, although they claim to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like immortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. As humanity suppresses the truth about God, as we ignore God's revelation about himself through the creation, through the heavens, we set the stage for our idolatry. You see, God created every single one of us to worship. We're worshiping beings. And if we choose not to worship God, we will worship something or someone else. We will find something to worship. 
And it's interesting, when man turns from worshiping God, where does he go first? Paul says he begins by worshiping himself. But he doesn't stay there. It it digresses worse. The course goes downward. And then we even begin to worship that which has been created. Even today, if we don't worship God, we will worship and stand at the altar of worshiping self or stuff. Idolatry. Our modern idols may not be animals, but they may be the stuff that we have. Verse 23 says that we exchanged the glory of God for man-made images. That word exchange, I want you to think about that. When you get a gift that you don't like or care about and you know you're never going to do anything with it, what do you do? You take it back, right? And you exchange it. Raise your hand if you've ever received a gift from a family member that you took back. (laughs) Some of you are like, I ain't putting my hand up. But, but, but what do you do? You take it back and you exchange it or you swap it out for something that you like or something that you want. You see, verse 22 says this. It says that we rationalize that we're wise. In other words, I know what's best for me. And so I create my own religion. I create my own God that I prefer to worship. Remember, Pastor Derek talked about that. That God is Burger King God. Have God your way. But that God is not God enough. That is not the God of the Scriptures. That's not the God who has created the universe. What is God's response? When we choose to exchange God for the worship of someone or something else, Paul tells us, Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, He uses this phrase three times, God gave them over. God gave them over. The Greek word for gave them over is paradidimi. And it's a judicial term that talks about a criminal being handed over for for punishment or even execution. So the wrath of God, Paul says, is, is acting judiciously to sentence those who are guilty. And what's the sentence? That God hands us over. He's pulling back his restraining grace, letting us experience the results of our sinful choices. Some people describe this, some theologians and teachers describe it as the wrath of abandonment. God gives us over. He pulls back his restraining grace, the wrath of abandonment. Now, real quick, there's a number of ways that we see the the wrath of God expressed For example, you have the eternal wrath of God. That's when at the last days there will be judgment and and be separated. And some will go to life and some will go to, to, to the lake of fire or hell. You also have the second category indicated in Scripture, and that's eschatological wrath. Eschatology means end times. And so that's when the wrath of God will come upon the world just prior to the second coming of Jesus. You read all about that primarily in other places in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And we're going to be looking at that in the fall as we study Revelation. There's a third kind of wrath, and that's cataclysmic wrath. There's just times in history when God chose to burst on the scene, and he showed up with an outpouring of his wrath to literally destroy the ungodly. You saw that in Scripture in the Old Testament. You had the flood. You saw that with Sodom and Gomorrah. In the New Testament, you had the cities of Chorazim and Bethsaida and Capernaum where they didn't respond well to Jesus. 
There's a fourth kind of wrath, and we talked about that last week. That's the passive or active wrath of God. That's the sowing and reaping wrath of God. Whatever we sow in our life, we're just going to reap. Somewhat similar, but now taken to the next level, is this fifth type of wrath, the wrath of abandonment. And that's what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 1. Let's see how God describes this in other places, this wrath of abandonment. Judges chapter 10 says this. It says, uh, God says to the people, he says, you have abandoned me and served other gods, so I will not rescue you anymore. Why don't you go and cry out to those gods that you've chosen? Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. God said to Hosea, he said, in Hosea, he said, Ephraim, which Ephraim was the leading tribe of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. The ten tribes, so it represented the ten tribes. Ephraim uh, uh, is joined to idols. Leave them alone. Jesus said this about the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 15. Jesus said of the Pharisees, leave them, they're blind guides. You see, whenever we turn our backs on God, verses, uh, Romans 1, verse 24, 26, 28, God gives us over. He hands us over. It's the wrath of abandonment. Now, what I want to do in these next few moments is I want to show you what happens when societies choose to suppress the truth, when they, when they turn away and towards, towards wickedness, and, and God hands us over, when societies turn from God, And when you begin to see the wrath of abandonment at play, what happens? Let's see, Romans chapter 1, pick it up in verse 24. It says, therefore God gave them over. First time we're going to see that phrase. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God says, hey, okay, if you want a life apart from me, you want to worship someone or something else, then I'm going to give you over to that. I'm going, to, I'm going to remove my restraining grace. And humanity's object of worship always becomes sex and sexuality. You see, when a nation, when a society, when a person, when people are abandoned by God, God removes that restraining grace of his, and now they begin to operate by the lust of their hearts, resulting in sexual impurity. And they end up using their body in dishonorable ways. In their freedom from God's truth, their denial of God's truth, their rejection of God's truth, Paul says they turn to their passions, to their lust. And we've seen this since the beginning of time. What about in the United States? Well, I think back to the 1960s when we experienced what was called the sexual revolution. Free love, free sex. Fast forward 50 plus years, and I think you would agree with me that that sexual revolution is over. Now you say, no, what are you talking about? It's over. No, no, no. It's over. The revolt was successful, unfortunately, and sadly. And so today, we see pornography, promiscuity, fornication, adultery, and it's rampant throughout our society. It's not in the hidden pockets, but it's rampant. Just imagine having a conversation with someone from work or a neighbor or, or perhaps an acquaintance. And imagine you say, hey, you know what? Marriage, it's just between a man and a woman. And having sex should only happen in the context of a marriage and that specific marriage between a man and a woman. Imagine you saying that. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to be canceled. 
right? You'll be canceled. You'll be labeled as a religious extremist and now even being called religious terrorist. Society applauding sexual impurity, exalting it, raising it up. For example, in the United States, the porn industry brings in $13 billion a year. For perspective, Major League Baseball brings in $10 billion a year. The average kid sees pornography starting at age 11. Anywhere from, depending on what stats you look at, 25 to 40% of babies born in the United States today are born out of wedlock every year in the United States. About 12% of teenagers are confused by their sexuality, and that percentage is rising quickly. Between 600,000 and 800,000 abortions are performed every single year. Marriages are broken up. Families are destroyed. Young girls are abused and trafficked. All of this because our culture worships at the altar of our passions and our lust, sex, and sexuality. And so God said, I'm going to give you over to that. I'm going to give over your sinful hearts to that sexual impurity. Look, God has a very, very clear plan for sexuality. It's between a man and a woman in the context of a marriage and nothing else. That's God's plan. Now, what if you violated that? What if somebody you know that you're trying to share life in Christ with, what if they violated that? Listen, you or they just need to know the goodness of God. They need to know, you need to know God loves you and he forgives you, and he gives you a second chance. He lets you start over. He lets you reset the clock, that you can actually regain your innocence, all by choosing to trust in the goodness and the grace and the love of God. You have free will. We all do. And you get to choose if you're, whether or not you're going to allow your desires to run your life all of us, every single day are confronted with, we can choose our desires or we can choose God and God's will and God's ways. Every single one of us have that every single day. That question comes before us. And so we see the evidence of God's wrath of abandonment in society's slide. And it starts first, you have the sexual revolution. And then Paul goes on and says it's followed up by a homosexual and lesbian revolution. He says in verse 26, he says, because of this, God gave them over. Second time now he uses the phrase, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. You see, you can tell. When a nation is experiencing the wrath of abandonment, because first, sexual sin just begins to go rampant. And then that will be followed by an increased homosexual sin. Now, tragically, Christians have taken passages like this and other passages in, in Scripture, and they've used it as a weapon to attack people who are part of the LGBTQ community. And they've used it to attack rather than to love them. I want to be clear. God has called us as Christ followers to love every single person. And everybody is welcome here at LifePoint. Everybody. Why? 
Because every person needs a Savior. Every person needs a relationship with Jesus. And this particular topic, yes, it's front and center in our culture today. You know what that means? Man, we have an incredible opportunity to demonstrate the heart of Jesus, to love others, to serve others, to bless others, to show them the love of God, to show others the love of God, and and to pour that out upon people. God is the one who works on people's hearts. And God is the one who calls all of us to repentance in any area of our life that isn't lined up with God's word. All of us. And we're all in that journey. And so God has called us to be grace dispensers. God will change the heart. God will change the heart. He's the one who's changing my heart. He's the one who's changing your heart. goes on in verse 28. Furthermore, Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over. Third time, he says God gave them over to a depraved mind. Some translations say a reprobate mind. So that they do what ought not to be done. The New Living Translation just says it this way. God abandoned them to their foolish thinking. So this depraved mind, God actually gives us over, society over. We suppress the truth about God. We forsake all types of evils. And when we do that, God gives us over to a depraved mind. The restraining grace is removed. And what is a depraved mind? It's a mind that doesn't function properly. It's a kind of insanity. A depraved mind does not accept reality. Do you ever wonder... Does it cross your mind? I know it does me. Why, do not, why don't more leaders in all sectors of society, why don't more leaders stand up and influencers stand up and call a halt to this insanity in our country? Why don't more leaders of our nation stand up and say, man, we are committing suicide nationally because we're just not thinking clearly anymore about morality and moral issues We're destroying families. We're ruining societies. We're wrecking marriages. And now, worse than ever, we're wrecking our children and their futures. But Paul says, why does that happen? It's simple. The mind is gone. The mind is gone. We don't think clearly. And when the mind goes, watch how the floodgates open next, starting in verse 29. So they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Not content with the evil. Hey, we're going to come up with new ways. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. That's what you get in a culture of insanity. And so... Take out your phone, not literally, but take out your phone, pull up the news feed, and you read any day, just pick any day. You, in fact, you can do it every day, and every single day, you will read a story that is in the news, and you think to yourself, that's Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, and every single time I see one of those or I hear about one of those stories, what, I, I, just, I watch it, I observe it, and I go, this is just insane. What is happening? And again, you just, any week, any day, pick a day. Just this week, there was a person testifying before Congress, Congress, and they said that a man could become pregnant and a man could have an abortion. 
And you could just go on and on and on, pick any story. What's happening? Paul says the mind is gone. The mind doesn't think right anymore. The mind doesn't think rationally anymore. Why? Because God has given us over to our depraved minds. Verse 32 says, the insanity is so severe, verse 32, that although they know God's righteous decrees, that those who do such things actually deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. In other words, they now make it legal. It's now legal. So we make laws, and we pass laws, and now we're even implementing curriculum with our kids that are saying all of this is now the new normal. This is now the new acceptable behaviors of morality. So we pass laws and we change definitions of marriage. We pass laws and kill the unborn who are the most vulnerable. And on and on and on we go. And if we don't accept those, if somebody doesn't accept those new laws and those new standards of morality, what are you? You're an enemy of society. Truth. The Bible, Scripture, the church, it's being canceled. Why? The insane is now normal. The insane is now normal. And so you and I as Christians have to decide, are we going to change our God, our view of God, our image of God to fit culture's norms? Or will we trust in the God of of the Bible and the truth that is God that has always been true. Every day. You're confronted with that every single day. How big is your God? Now, I read through all these verses, and it sure appears like God's wrath of abandonment, abandonment has been upon us as a culture. That's why we are where we are today. And again, how did we get here? Verse 18, very first verse we looked at. It all started when we suppress the truth. In fact, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. According to this passage and and this verse, you know that you're under the wrath of abandonment when a society will no longer tolerate anger against sin. I mean, I want you to think about that. If we speak out against sin in our culture today, what happens? You can't do that. You can't do that today. In fact, I'm sure there's some who are, who are here sitting here today or watching online and you're struggling with portions of this message. I mean, no one wants to think they or, or someone they know is, is a sinner or, or, or is in sin. How dare you judge me? Today, evil is now considered good and good is now considered evil. We've seen a total reversal of values in our culture. Why? Paul makes it clear. God has given us over to our crazy thinking because our mind is gone. Isaiah said it this way. In Isaiah chapter 5, he says, What sorrow, which another translation says, you're doomed. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. That was verse 22 of Romans 1. As a nation, we've suppressed the truth. We have the truth. In fact, God's truth was written into the very fabric of the founding of our nation, but we've suppressed it. In other words, we've crushed it. We've held it down, as Paul said, by our ungodliness, 
by our unrighteousness. Is it any wonder we have so many problems in our society today? So, what do we do? I mean, this is brutal. What do we do? Well, I hear people say all the time, you know what we need to do? We need to take back our country. We need to take a stand. And I don't disagree. And that's a whole other conversation. But in a nutshell, let me make sure it's all framed in this context. What does taking a stand mean? There's only one way for it to occur. You teach God's word. You teach the word of God. Politicians are not the ones who are going to save us. Policies are not going to save us. Who's going to save us? Only one, that's Jesus Christ. So how about we spend more of our time, invest more of our time, invest more of our prayers into pointing people to Jesus, showing them Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And so, listen, when people see Jesus, when people see Jesus and then they choose to finally obey his word, God's word is truth, John 17 tells us, then God comes in and God blesses and God protects and God gives life. So I want to encourage you, yes, speak God's truth through the way you live your life and the way you love others. And sure, there's times when you might use words. But the more you do that with your life as a testimony to who God is, you will have the opportunity to share with words. And the more people hear God's truth, faith comes by what? Anybody know? Hearing the word of God. The more people hear God's truth, the more people will come to Christ. And perhaps, just perhaps, God's blessing will be upon us as a nation again. Now, before we wrap it up, let me give you one more thought. In the New Testament, there's a very interesting word used six times, and it's the word propitiation. Everybody say that, propitiation. Ready? One, two, three. Weird word, right? What is that? To propitiate means to turn away wrath by offering a gift. Sound familiar? 1 John 2, verse 2, it says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word atoning sacrifice, that's the Greek word propitiation. You see, God satisfied his wrath. He turned away his wrath by offering us a gift himself in his son on the cross. The price was paid for our sin through himself, through Jesus. So, I take you back to where we started. The entire series. Whoever believes in the Son, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath is still upon them. Now, would you like to receive God's gift of eternal life? Would you like to be saved? Don't you want your sins forgiven so that God would turn away his wrath? God says you can do that. Put your life, put your faith, put your trust in my Son, Jesus Christ. That's, God says, that's the gift I gave you to turn away my wrath. And I imagine there's some here today. Today's your day of salvation. God is calling you into the family of God. 
some of you, today's a day maybe to rededicate your life and heart back to God. And maybe you've wandered. Maybe you've been allowing yourself to suppress the truth. And that darkness and that futility has maybe been rising up. And God welcomes you home to come back to him. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.